from the Hutterberg Catechism. We read together Lord's Day 41. What does the seventh commandment teach us? That all unchastity is cursed by God. We must therefore detest it from the heart and live chaste and disciplined lives, both within and outside of holy marriage. Does God in his commandment forbid nothing more than adultery and similar shameful sins? Since we body and soul are temples of the Holy Spirit, it is God's will that we keep ourselves pure and holy. Therefore, he forbids all unchaste acts, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever may entice us to unchastity. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, We live in a world that is saturated with sex. In our Western world, there's very little modesty left. Sex sells, and so it's used everywhere in advertising and promotions. Pictures of attractive people fill the magazines at the local corner shop. Romance novels provide titillating stories that appeal to our baser instincts. Pornography is readily available on our mobile phones. Going to the beach often presents us with temptations to lust after we should not. As Christians, we are not immune to the temptations that surround us in our society. Yet God calls us to live as holy, as pure people before him. In the seventh commandment, he commands us not to commit adultery Our catechism rightly explains this commandment as forbidding all unchastity. Unchastity is a word that describes all kinds of sexual impurity. Not just impure acts, but also all all unholy gestures, words, thoughts, and desires. So how are we to do that in our sex-crazed world? Is there any way for us to stand against the temptations we face in connection with the seventh commandment? To properly answer these questions, we need to understand who we are. God has made us in his own image. After the fall into sin, he redeemed us by the blood of Christ, and he renews us by the power of his spirit. We belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has delivered us from the mastery of the evil one. The Spirit has come to make his home in us. We are now temples of the living God. We are holy. That means we've been set apart. We've been dedicated to God's service not to walk in the lusts of the flesh, but to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. Our bodies belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, we must avoid sexual immorality, and we must learn self-control. When it comes to our sexuality, we live in the midst of a godless and immoral society. It's evident in so many ways. 
It used to be that the expression of our sexuality was closely connected with marriage. Part of the reason was that a natural consequence of having sex is having babies. And babies need parents to take care of them. Yet with the sexual revolution that has taken place, and with the coming of birth control, the link between sex and marriage has been greatly weakened. Many couples in our society live together before they are married, if they get married at all. God's norm that sex is to be limited to those who are bound together in marriage has been forsaken by many in our society. Today, sex is seen as a rite of passage for teenagers. It's something you try out, like you might try smoking or drinking or doing pot. Many young people have experimented with sex already in their teens. These days, you don't even need to be in much of a relationship to engage in sex. In our society, having sex is seen as a leisure or as a recreational activity. As people who have friends with benefits, relationships, even though they're not dating, they get together for sex. We're, in the midst, we're living in the midst of a sex-crazed society. All around us, there are these lonely people looking to hook up with someone else for their sexual gratification. If you watch late-night TV, you'll come across advertisements for various dating sites. If you spend time surfing the web, it's likely you'll come across advertising Advertisements encourage you to hook up with others for love. If you're viewing stuff you shouldn't on your phone, you'll be confronted with hookup apps. Doesn't it seem strange to you that there are so many lonely hearts in our society where sex is freely exchanged? Isn't it odd that so many people regularly use pornography in a society where it's not hard to get the real thing? Why is it that people are always thirsting for more? We see more and more perversions of sexuality all around us. People who mix pain with their pleasure, people who experiment in unnatural relations with members of their own sex, people who, become, who involve themselves with more than one partner at a time. Lusting continually for more, because they cannot find the satisfaction that they seek. With respect to our sexuality, our society is out of control. And beloved, that affects us as Christian church. Last year, when Jonathan von Maron spoke to us about the use of cell phones, he presented distressing statistics about the use of pornography by our Christian youth. And the problem is not limited to our teens and to our young people. Pornography wreaks havoc in many of our homes and relationships. It's one of Satan's most prominent tools to attack us, to undermine our walk with God. Why is it that pornography holds so much appeal? Well, it's because God created us as sexual beings. When children hit puberty, hormones begin to pump through their bodies. They become aware of their sexuality. While previously boys were gross and girls were silly, there's suddenly an attraction there. God created us with those sexual desires. Just as he gave us an appetite for food 
so we wouldn't forget to feed our bodies. So we gave sexual desires so men and women would continue to be joined together and create offspring in marriage. These desires that God created in us are not inherently wrong. It's part of how we were made. But the problem is that with the fall into sin, these desires have been defiled and perverted. What God made good man has corrupted. Desire easily becomes lust. By nature, we are self-centered people. Rather than living for God's glory, we're inclined to gratify our own desires. The result is that we abuse God's good gifts to try find pleasure for ourselves. God's word makes it clear that our sexuality is a precious gift. The Bible views sexual relations between a husband and wife very positively. In Proverbs 5, husband and wife are encouraged to share in pleasure together. Solomon says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Yet according to the Lord's command, sexual expression should be limited to those who are committed to one another in marriage. To partake in any kind of sex outside of marriage is sin. It's what the Bible calls sexual immorality. Consider our reading from 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul exhorts us, saying, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Paul expands on what God requires of us in the seventh commandment in a reading from Colossians 3. He writes, Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. We are to put to death the sinful nature that lives within us, to purge our lives not only of sinful sexual acts, but also of everything that leads to them. So where is the dividing line between wholesome desires and unbridled lust? It is not lust to be attracted to someone or notice that he or she is good-looking, but undressing that person with your eyes or imagining what it would be like to have him or her is sin. It is not lust to anticipate and be excited about sex within marriage. But it is lust to project such desires onto someone who's not your husband or wife. It is not lust to experience sexual temptation. But it is lust to give in to that temptation by thinking about it, by dwelling on it, by fantasizing about it. Lust is sexual desire minus honor and holiness. When we lust, we take this good thing, sexual desire, 
and remove it from honor towards our neighbor and reverence towards our God. Lust is an idolatrous desire that rejects God's rule and seeks satisfaction apart from him. Lust covets the forbidden with our eyes, hearts, imaginations, or bodies. We grasp for what God has said no to. We want to take shortcuts to satisfy our sinful desires. We take what does not belong to us. We seek satisfaction in things that will only cause us shame and guilt. Something important we need to understand if we're going to stand strong against sexual temptations. Beloved, we need to realize that we belong to Christ. Our bodies are His. You see, Christ came into this world taking on a body and soul just like ours. Christ suffered and died a bitter and shameful death on the cross, bearing the guilt and the shame that we deserve for all our sins. It's in this way that he has ransomed us. Christ has paid the price to set us free. And in doing so, he claimed us as his own. We belong to him, body and soul. Through the Holy Spirit, we have become one with Christ. In theological terms, we call this our union with Christ. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 15, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And in verse 17, But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. This union with Christ and the promise of the resurrection of our bodies is God's bold statement that he wants your whole person, including your body. Through the cross, we have union with Christ. That gives him authority over our bodies. God forbids giving your body to anyone else other than your spouse. We face huge problems when we disregard God's commands about our sexuality The problem in our society is that people see sex as an end in itself. They think that if they can hook up regularly with others for their own gratification, all will be good in their lives. But it doesn't work that way. With all the sex freely available, you think that people would find satisfaction. But our society is filled with many lonely hearts. People cannot find what they seek to obtain in gratifying their sexual desires. The point is that sex itself will never satisfy us. What people are striving for is not sex itself. What people really desire is intimacy. They want the closeness that comes from an intimate relationship with someone else. The drive to be sexual is more than simply a desire for pleasure or for excitement. It's really a longing for closeness. It's not just true of women. It's also true of men. Sharing the pleasure of intimacy is one of the most satisfying human experiences possible. Sexual pleasure reaches its highest level in a caring, loving, lifelong relationship. 
And the reason for this is that the most sexually excitable part of our body is our mind. It's only over time with one partner that the full intimate connection of two hearts, souls, and bodies can occur. True intimacy can only occur in a marriage relationship where husband and wife have made a commitment before God to love each other for as long as they both shall live. It can only grow when husband and wife are both committed to the Lord's service and seek to serve Him according to His word. Pornography breaks down such intimacy because it introduces the thought of and desire for other people into your marriage relationship. Premarital sex gets in the way of true intimacy for it breaks down trust. It introduces shame and guilt into a couple's communion together. And so, beloved, God's word calls us to holy living, to avoid sexual immorality, not to take part in the placebos that our society has on offer. A deeply satisfying sex life can only be found when we avoid Satan's shortcuts, when we don't pollute our hearts and minds with pornography, when we strive to reign pure in our relationships before marriage, when we continue to work hard on our relationships within marriage, so we develop increasing closeness together as husbands and wives. Beloved, that's not the easy way, but it's the best way. It's God's way, and it gives great joy and satisfaction in our lives. It brings us to our second point. Since our bodies belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, we need to learn self-control. The message I'm bringing you this afternoon may be a difficult one for many of us. For many among us are guilty of sexual sin and suffer the consequences of it. We feel guilty because we've got a porn addiction. Our minds are polluted with images that cause us much shame. We're in a relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend that's gone too far, and we don't know what to do about it. Although we're married, we're involved with someone else. We're attracted to people of the same sex. We've had sex with multiple partners. We struggle with lust and don't know what to do about it. Is there truly any hope for us? Yes, beloved, there is. It's what the gospel is all about. It's about God's grace in Jesus Christ. About how through him we may receive forgiveness for all our sins. How do you receive that kind of forgiveness? By repenting and believing. It's actually really simple. Confess your sins before your Father in heaven. Mention by name the things that cause you shame and guilt. Lay them before God's throne of grace with a contrite heart. And then believe that your heavenly Father will forgive you for Christ's sake, because Jesus Christ has died on the cross to pay for your sins. 
We know the way to be redeemed from our sins, also our sexual sins. The question is, do we really want to be saved from them? Or are we enjoying our sins too much, and are we unwilling to break with them? If that's the case, you need to listen carefully to what Paul wrote in Colossians 3. After warning us to put to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature, things like sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires, Paul writes, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 6, Paul makes it clear that God will punish us for all such sins. God hates all sin, also sexual sin. His wrath is kindled against those who live in sinful ways and who refuse to break with their sins. You may be thinking, I want to break with my sins. I've tried again and again to break with them, but they hold some kind of power over me, and I find myself falling back into them again and again. So what am I supposed to do? How can I stop sinning? These are fair questions. Questions Paul deals with in our readings this afternoon. In our reading from Colossians 3, Paul commands us to put to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature. To put something to death requires us to make war on it. To involve ourselves in a battle. We cannot be passive in our fight against impurity and lust. We need to arm ourselves with spiritual armor to stand strong in our spiritual warfare. We do that by setting our minds on things above, not on earthly things, by building a close and intimate relationship with God, by reading and studying his word so that it may comfort and strengthen us, by regularly engaging in prayer, also about the things we struggle with. Our reading from one in our reading from 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul not only forbids sexual immorality, he commands each of you that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, and not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. How do we learn that kind of self-control? How can we live holy and honorable lives in the midst of our sex-crazed society? Is it really possible in the world in which we live? We need to understand, beloved, that the world in which the first Christians lived was quite similar to today. Roman society was decadent. The worship of the gods often involved parties in their temples. Those parties were marked by drunkenness and by sexual immorality. There were both male and female temple prostitutes and at times, the parties held in honor of the gods turned into sexual orgies. And besides that, homosexuality was commonly practiced. Many of the first Christians came out of such sin. In Colossians 3, verse 7, Paul makes this point. He says, in these two, you once walked when you were living in them. Paul also speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 6. He asks, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
He writes, do not be deceived, neither, sex, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor those who practice homosexuality will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. So Paul's command for us to learn to control our own bodies in a way that's holy and honorable is not a far-fetched fantasy. We can learn self-control. The most important part of that is knowing to whom we belong. It's recognizing Christ has bought me with his precious blood, and I belong to him. That my body is not my own, but belongs to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That he is my master, and that I need to submit myself to his lordship. Christ has not only claimed us as his own, but he's also given us his spirit. Think of Paul's words written in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? If we're God's temples, if his spirit lives in us, then we need to live pure and holy lives. And even though we can't do this in our own strength, We can do it through the strength that God supplies. By his spirit, he will strengthen us in our fight against sin. There's also some practical steps we can take to help us live self-controlled lives. What we need to realize is that sin doesn't just happen. For the power of sin to remain strong, it needs to be fed. Here we see the truth of what James writes in James 4, verse 7. He says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Beloved, we cannot feed our sinful ways if we want to break with them. We need to guard our hearts and minds so we're not polluted by the sinful ways of the world. In Matthew 5, 28, Jesus taught us that adultery involves much more than engaging in sex with someone who's not your marriage partner. Jesus said that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so we need to guard our eyes to be careful what we expose them to. David's adultery with Bathsheba came about because he saw her bathing. Instead of averting his eyes, he ogled her. His eyes caused him to sin. It's by looking at what was forbidden that his lust was incited. Guard your eyes, beloved. We do well to follow the example of Job. The Lord identified him as one who was blameless and upright, who feared God and shunned evil. Because of the calamity that came upon him, Job's friends accused him of hidden sin. Job defends himself against his friends' attacks. In Job 31, verse 1, he said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a woman lustfully. That is what we need to do in our lives, to learn self-control, to resolve we're not willing to expose ourselves to images or situations where our eyes cause us to last. 
that may require us to have our phones and computers protected so illicit internet sites get blocked. If you're struggling with pornography, you'll likely need the help and support of an accountability partner to help you overcome your addiction. Yet in your fight against sin, please remember that breaking with sin involves more than just turning away from it. It involves turning to God, finding peace in the forgiveness he gives, finding intimacy in a personal relationship with him, living in the joy of the faith, thankful for all the blessings God gives you. To live self-controlled lives, we not only need to guard our eyes, we also need to guard our minds. It's with our eyes that we see people or images that may entice us. But it's with our minds we take the next step. We mentally undress the pretty woman walking down the street, or we fantasize what it would be like to engage in sex with a porn actor or actress on our screen. Even in everyday life, the thoughts we think and the fantasies we spin are often not wholesome. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, Paul commands us to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We need to arrest every fleeting thought that may lead us away from Christ and his will for our lives. Rather than dwelling on sinful thoughts, we need to turn away from them. Rather than fantasizing about sin, we need to purge our minds of such daydreams. You know why that's so important? Because our struggle with sin starts in the mind. Our failures and sins are rooted in sinful thoughts. Many young people fall into sexual sin because they think everyone's doing it. Couples excuse premarital sex with the idea, we love each other and we plan to get married anyway, so what's wrong with having some fun now? Men excuse viewing pornography by thinking they're not engaging in real sex, so where's the harm in it? Women excuse their fantasies about their knight in shining armor with a thought it's only a daydream anyways. But what we need to realize is that the mind begins the process of every action we take. The mind produces the thought, the thought develops into an action, and an action repeated over time becomes a habit. It's by guarding our eyes and taking captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ that we learn self-control so that we, learn, so that we live holy and honorable lives before our God, also, also with respect to our sexuality. Is it easy? Nope. Will we ever be free of the temptation to sin? Not in this lifetime. Yet, beloved, by God's grace and by the power of his Spirit, we can fight against our sinful lusts and desires. We have God's promise. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear, and that with every temptation, he will provide a way out. Beloved, learn to live in intimate communion with the Lord. Recognize you're not your own, but belong with body and soul to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. 
that he has redeemed you with his precious blood, that he has set you free from the mastery of Satan. Your body is not your own to do with as you please. It belongs to Christ. You are to honor him with it. If you're single, you can do that by living a celibate life or by pursuing a relationship with a fellow Christian with whom you can share your whole life. If you're married, you can honor God by developing an increasingly intimate relationship with your husband or wife so that despite all the struggles and sorrows we face in married life, your relationship may reflect the covenant relationship between Christ and his church. That, beloved, is the Christian response to the sex-crazed world in which we live, not to join the world in its sins and perversions, but to develop a deep and close relationship with the Lord and with our marriage partner. Doing that will provide lasting satisfaction and joy. Amen.